Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. Well, it's great to be with you tonight, and I am honored and privileged, and I want to say to Jason, he's been an incredible host, and we had an opportunity to be together today, and I'm encouraged. And uh, Pastor Ed is, uh, man, let me tell you something. I, as I've gotten to know him, one thing that I've come to believe is he is absolutely the real deal. And I love that man. And uh, you are grateful to have him as your pastor, and honored, I know, to have him as your pastor. I want to invite you to turn this evening to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, as we are going to dive into God's Word, we're going to let the text do the work tonight as we dive in and see what God would have to say to us tonight. I just want to say to you tonight that, man, if there's anything that my heart desires together, not only tonight, but in my life and in my lifetime, man, I desire to see a movement of God that is unparalleled in our nation's history. I mean, I, I honestly look, man, uh, you know, churches are, are, are awesome. It's the bride of Christ and ministry. It's great. But man, I want to see an authentic movement of God that cannot be manipulated or manufactured by man or strategy or books or lessons. I want to see a move of God that people like you and I, when they say, what's going on? All we can say is we don't know, man. It's just a, it's a move of our God. It's beyond our control. It's beyond what we can explain. It is just God pouring out his presence and his blessing and his favor and his anointing upon a generation of people. And tonight, as we dive into this passage, I believe that one of the things that we're going to talk about tonight is perhaps the missing element to that in our own lives. And I know in my life, so many times what we're going to see tonight, it's just a, it's a missing element in my life. It's kind of like, how many of you have ever put together something that was missing a part? I've got, I've got four kids. Their names are any, many, miny, and it, because there ain't going to be no mo. I promise you, all right? And I've told my wife over and over again, look, here's the deal. For Christmas, we're not buying anything that has to be put together the night before. Because here's what I'll tell you. I have the gift of, of selling things. I will tell you, I could sell a ribeye to a cow, but I cannot change a light bulb. I mean, that is just not what God has wired me to do. And so putting things together is already a struggle. It's a, it's a challenge for me, but there have been times in my life where I have gone to put things together and I look up and all of a sudden, like there's this missing part. And by the way, usually the missing part is very small in the big scheme of things, but it is oh so significant to the structure of what I'm putting together. So it is with what we'll talk about tonight. Oftentimes in the believer's life, oftentimes in those who follow Christ, there's so many moving parts in our faith with him. There's so many things that have to take place, but oftentimes we get so busy, we get so into ourselves, we get so into our kingdom that we tend to forget this small part, or, or at least it's a small part for most of our lives, it shouldn't be, but this small tenet of our faith, yet this small tenet of our faith really in many ways is the foundation of everything we are in Christ Jesus. I would say to you tonight that oftentimes the most elemental aspects of our faith 
become the most neglected aspects of our faith. And if we're not careful, we miss the very blessings of God, the favor of God in these moments of our life simply because this element is missing in our life. It's kind of like this. My wife, after our first son, we were trying to have another son. We ended up having a stillborn. After that stillborn, we had two miscarriages. I was pastoring a church. We were in the middle of a massive event for our church. And, and uh, my wife comes to me one night in the middle of this event. This is this week-long event. She comes to me and tears are flowing out of her eyes. And she says, I think I just had a miscarriage. And so, man, we immediately we go to the hospital or the doctor, and they say, yes, you've had a miscarriage, and, and tomorrow you're going to have to come in and have a procedure to kind of to, uh, to move to the next step of this. So the next morning, in the midst of all of what was going on at my church, all of these events, we went to the doctor. She had this procedure, and I went home, and I thought to myself, now, mind you, I was only about 24, right? Okay, so that gives me a little grace, okay? But I was about 24. I was a relatively new husband, a new father, and And so all I thought was, hey, she just needs to go home and rest. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take her home and rest. I'm going to take her home, let her rest. I'll put her to bed. And then I'm going to go do what I got to do for the church. I still have not lived this down. You see, what happened in that moment is that I, in, in, in my busyness, I, in my misprioritization, my, in my misunderstanding of what was significant in that moment, what, what I missed was an opportunity to, to be there and be present with my wife and to love her and to m- nurture her and to minister her simply because all of these other things were pulling my direction. And my dear friends, I might submit to you tonight, as we will see in Mark chapter 9, that there are various things in your life, I promise you, that pull Pull you away from those moments with God that are absolutely necessary and significant in your spiritual journey. I want to ask tonight, if you would just be so vulnerable, how many of you tonight, if you were just honest, if you were to rip away the fact that we're at church and you have to smile and you have to greet, how many of you tonight would say, you know what? I need some kind of breakthrough from God for a situation in my life. Just raise your hand. I just want to pray for you as we get beginning because here's what I believe tonight, and I earnestly believe this, that tonight God's going to meet you right where you are. That God's not expecting you to try to manufacture this moment with him. I believe that for those of you who raise your hand and say, I need some kind of breakthrough, whether it's physical or marriage or it's a relation or whatever it is, that God is going to meet you where you are tonight and he's going to give you a key to your spiritual journey that could revolutionize and transform your life. Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would take the words out of your scripture and Holy Spirit that you would illuminate our hearts with these truths. And I pray tonight, my God, that you would meet every person in this room who says, I need an encounter with Christ tonight. I need a movement of God. I need a breakthrough. I pray, God, that you would meet them right where they're at. God, I pray that you would help them realize tonight that you love them right where they're at, but you love them way too much to leave them there. And would you come and move in this place? Now, Father, I confess that I have nothing to offer tonight but a humble heart who trust you to do something great. Would you move in this time? Meet us here, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, 
Amen. Mark chapter 9, we see this story of this father, this son, the disciples, and Jesus. And in the midst of this passage, what I love about this passage is because it just continuously shows us how significant Scripture is and how relevant Scripture is to our life today. In this specific passage, you're going to see so many emotions take place. And what it does is shows us that Jesus, yes, he was God in the flesh, but Jesus walked among men who had struggles and problems and emotional issues. And in this passage, we're we're going to see anger, and we're going to see hurt, and we're going to see fear, and we're going to see doubt, we're going to see confrontation. In this passage, we're going to see hopelessness, and in this passage, we're going to see hope together. It's this, it's this, this incredible collision of all of these emotions, and out of the end of this story, we're going to learn one main theme tonight, and if you don't take anything away from tonight, please take this away. We're going to learn one main theme, and that is simply this. There are things in your life and in my life that can only be accomplished or experienced by earnest prayer. So that's the missing element in our life. It's, it's not that we don't pray. I'm sure every one of us prays before meals or we pray when we go to lay our head on the pillow at night or we wake up and thank God for a new day. And, and here's the deal. I think those prayers are great, those uh, exalting prayers, thanking God. But the truth of the matter is I'm not talking about the more routine prayers. I'm talking about the missing element in my life so many times and perhaps in your life and certainly in the life of what we're going to see tonight is a fervent focused life of prayer. In Mark chapter 9, we encounter this man who has had his life turned upside down. It's a man who's walking through incredible difficult situation. You might not be walking through something like him, like he is tonight, but perhaps you're walking through something tonight that you say, I need a breakthrough. Mark chapter 9, beginning of verse 14. Let us walk through this text. Let the text do the work. It says, when he when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, scribes arguing with them, angry arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, they were greatly amazed. They ran up to him and they greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. For he has a spirit that makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. Pay attention to this. And they were not able. First thing I want us to understand tonight about prayer in our life is that prayer is most powerful when we're at our weakest. Prayer is often most powerful in our life when we are at our weakest moment in that moment where we need a breakthrough in that moment where it seems like we can't break through the issue or the obstacle. Prayer, my friends, is the most powerful when we are at our weakness. Why? Let's look at the aspects this man was going through in this passage. Look at what happens. The first thing we must notice about this man is that he had a lack of control of the situation. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like, man, I, I, I can't control the situation? And when, when, when the situation goes beyond our control, man, that is a scary feeling for us. We're used to controlling everything in our life. And so when something is beyond our control, what in the world are we to do with that? You see, we see this. It was the lack of control. Look at verse 17. 
He says, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, throws him down, he foams and grinds at his teeth and becomes rigid. In other words, what he's saying to Jesus is, there is this thing inside my son that has a dad I can't control. Now listen, my son isn't demon-possessed, but he's 13. And I am learning what that means. I've gone to school, I've got degrees, as the pastor said, I've written a book, I've pastored churches, I've done this, I've done that, and I've been to seminars, I've listened to books on tape, and let me tell you something, no one, no one has ever taught me in my life how to wake up a 13-year-old and remain godly the rest of the day. It's like, where did you get this attitude from? It's like from day, you know, one day to the next, like he has this supernatural wisdom and I've lost any kind of life experience. I understand because there are times, listen, I'm just going to be honest. There are times I look at my son, I go, I think to myself, what am I going to do? I can't control his attitude. This father was in the midst of despair. There was a demon. There was a spirit within his son, and he was beyond control. And my dear friends, we see as we continue on, look at verse 18. It throws him down. He foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked the disciples to cast it out. Listen, and they were not able. So again, it's beyond his control. It's beyond the disciples' control. Look at verse 21. Jesus asked this question. How long has this been happening to him? Verse 22, it says, it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. Think about this in the heart of a parent. Your son, your daughter, it has this thing controlling them. And not only is it causing them to seize and to be mute, but worse than that, it's causing them to throw himself into the fire, to throw himself into something that destroys his flesh and his body. Can you imagine as a father what it must feel like for this man who is living beyond his control? You see, there's a lack of control in his life. There's a second thing. There's a lack of ability. What do you mean? Look at verse 18. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to cast it out. So in other words, this father, as much as he had learned how to be a father, he's not learned how to cast out a demon. Not only was it beyond his control, but it was beyond his ability. He did not have what it was in him to take this spirit out. So he goes to these men who are disciples of Christ, and yet they can't even cast this man, this demon out, this spirit out. So we see there's a lack of control. We see there's a lack of ability. But also pay attention. Look at verse 18 when it says this. I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. Therefore, we understand that now the Father has looked at other people to solve the problem. He has realized I can't do it. He has realized it's beyond my control. Now let me go see if I can find other people to solve the problem. Simply said, the Father was depending on the actions of others instead of praying himself. How many times in our life do we try to run and seek or we text somebody or we send them a Facebook message saying, here's what I'm going through. Can you help me? Or we go seek help. Not that seeking help is wrong. I think it's a great thing. However, oftentimes the answer may very well be to seek the answer from the Father. It may, not, may very well be not to Google it, but to pray about it. You see, we see there's a lack of control. We see there's a lack of ability. We see that there is a lack of prayer. See, the father wanted someone else to act upon it, but let, the, sh- let me show you one other thing we see in this man's life. There's a lack of faith. Look what happens in verse 21. Jesus says, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. 
And listen to what he says, and it's often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, there is a monumental mistake that just happened in the heart of this father. Listen to what Jesus says. And Jesus said to him, if you can. You see, what happens is there's a a lack of control, there's a lack of ability, there's a lack of prayer, and then we see in the Father's heart, there's just a simple lack of faith. He is at his wit's end. He doesn't know what else to do, and he simply goes to Jesus, this one that he has heard has healed the, healed the sick, the one that he's heard raised the dead, the one that he's heard all these miracles are taking place, and here's what he says to this man who everybody tells him has done all these things. He says, if you can, and watch this. Here's what I want you to understand tonight. Jesus calls it out. Jesus calls it out. I love the, the verse of scripture that was on there in Jeremiah where it says, where God's saying, is anything impossible for me? This is what Jesus is saying. He calls out his lack of faith. If you can, Jesus says, all things are possible for the one who believes. So Jesus calls out his lack of faith. And here's what he's saying. It's not in our life, God, if you can. Really the question of God is if you will. Talk about this man. Lack of control, lack of ability, lack of prayer, lack of faith. How many of you, if you looked in the mirror tonight, you would say, that's me. That's me. There are situations, I just, Dr. Phil doesn't address this. But here's the truth. It's in those weakest moments when we don't have control. It's in those weakest moments when our, it's beyond our ability. It's in those weakest moments that prayer becomes the most powerful times in our life. My dear friend, whatever you're going through tonight, here's what I want you to know and understand. That it's in your weakness that he is made strong. It is when you're at rock bottom that you realize if you're a child of God, your rock bottom is no, no further down than the palm of the hand of a sovereign, loving God. You see, prayer is the most powerful when we are at our weakness. The second thing I want us to see is in verse 23 and 24. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now, That would seem in some senses like it's an oxymoron, wouldn't it? I believe, but yet help my unbelief. But no, my friends, that's not. Let me show you what this is, what this man is saying to Jesus. And the second thing we understand tonight is not only is prayer most powerful when we are at our weakness, but prayer is most persistent when it's supported by strong faith. You see, what we need is in our prayer life is to be persistent. It's to continuously go before the throne of God and say, God, I believe, God. I believe that you can. I believe that you can. I trust that you will, but I believe that you can. We see there's a couple things about this statement he makes. The first thing we see is that it's a declaring statement. What is that declaring statement? I believe. Jesus, I hear what you say. You're saying if, if, if I believe anything can happen, that everything's possible. And he looks at Jesus in the eyes and he says, I believe. 
How many of you tonight, when you're facing your circumstances, you are ready and at that place in life where you're tired of letting the enemy lie to you and you will look up him and say, listen, I believe tonight that God can handle this problem. I believe tonight that when it's beyond my ability, it's just then in the realm of his supernatural ability. I believe that God's going to show up when he's ready. I believe that that what I'm facing in this moment is going to turn out for the good of the one who called him according to his purpose. My son, my, I, my youngest son, he's just a cute kid. He's mischievous. And this week we had to go to the dentist office, so I checked him out of school early enough to take him to lunch. Don't get to spend a whole lot of one-on-one time when there's four of them. And so I took him to lunch, and we were just having a great time together. And I said, hey, Colson, Dad wants to know a question. I said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I sat back and I waited. I was looking for some noble answer. I was looking for something like, Dad, I want to be just like you. And he said, hmm, Dad, that's a tough question, but I've got a good answer. I said, well, bro, lay it on me. I'm ready. He said, he said, um, I want to be a, he named what it is. I don't even know what it is. Video game maker. And I'm going to be honest with you, like every pride in my body went out. I'm raising you for this. To be, not that that's wrong. If you're a video game maker, praise God for you. You, you are good for my kids because you babysit my kids sometimes. So I, 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 but my point is, I'm like, son, I'm raising you to be this man of God. I'm raising you to do this. I'm raising you to do that. And, and here's what you say. You want to be a Skylander. That's what it is. Who knows what those things are? I don't even know. I want to be a Skylander video game maker. Crushed me. Of course, I hadn't checked to see how much they pay, so it might be all right, but... Then I sat back and here's what I thought. Settle down, Nathan. The kid's eight. And the truth is, he's living in the world of Skylanders. And here's the deal. Because he's living in the world of Skylander video games, he can't see beyond the present reality. My friends, let me tell you, I stopped by to tell you tonight that there are some of you that God wants to do something great with, but the truth of the matter is, objectively, you are living in your present reality and you can't see beyond your present reality. And tonight, what you must do is declare in faith in a God who is sovereign, a God who is over all. You need to declare in the midst of your present reality, I believe. I believe God wants to do something with me. I be- and by the way, here, let me give you a, just a hint. Quit praying, God, get me out of it. And start praying, God, draw me closer to you in the midst of it. You see, our lives change when the prayer is not, rescue me, get me out of it, make my life more convenient. You see, what happens is our life is drastically and dramatically changed when we pray, God, whatever it takes for me to walk closer with you, that's what I want. That's the space I want to live in. So God, not get me out of it, but God, draw closer to me in it. And I'm going to tell you something. If you're walking through a crisis tonight, hear me tonight. God's voice echoes loudest in the valley. Let me also tell you something. The enemy is a liar. According to John, when he speaks, he lies. That's his nature. He can do nothing else. And what? what? The mind is the devil's playground. And if you let him in, he'll have a field day. You got to draw close to Christ in the midst of this. 
You see, we see this man, he makes a declaring statement. I believe. Well, wait a second. Then he turns around and says, help my unbelief. Isn't that uh, the opposite? Isn't it an oxymoron? No, it's not. Here's what he was saying. I declare that I believe, and then I depend on you to help me remain there. Because truth of the matter is, all of us know that God is sovereign, and there is a part of us as a follower of God, as a follower of Christ that says, I believe, but tomorrow morning when it's knocking at your door, we've got to have a dependence on God to help us remain in that place in our faith to say, I believe. Look what happens. There's a declaring prayer. He says, I believe. There's a dependent prayer. He says, help my unbelief. Abraham Lincoln says this. I've been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and all that seemed, and all that about of me seemed insufficient for that day. Have you ever felt that? So whatever you're facing, here's what I need you to do tonight. I need you to muster up the courage to say, I serve a God that absolutely nothing can stop. And I'm going to believe in that God for this moment in my life. And tomorrow when I wake up and I get ready to go to work and I begin to face today and the enemy begins to lie to me in my mind, I'm going to look at this issue. I'm going to look at this crisis. I'm going to look at this and I'm going to say again tomorrow, God, I believe. And when the enemy starts lying, I'm going to say, God, in the moments where my faith begins to doubt, help me to believe. Help my unbelief. You see, it's a constant prayer. I believe, God. Now help my unbelief in those moments where the enemy tries to lie to me. You see, here's what we understand. Understand. Prayer is most powerful when we add our weakness. Prayer is most persistent when it's supported by faith. I believe. But third, we see that prayer is most purposeful when it's done with fervency. Look at verse 23. Jesus said to him, if you can, <laughs> all things are possible for one who believes. Now pay attention to the next verse. This is where it begins to take root in our life and action begins to take place. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus, when he saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit and saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and watch this and never enter him again. Just a side note, notice that Jesus didn't give a temporary blessing. He said, oh no, not only will you come out, but you're never coming back. That's the kind of God we serve, my friends. And crying out and convulsing him terribly. He came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Now here's what's really cool about this. I, uh, this is kind of just extra for you. There's two people crying in those three verses. There's the father crying out to the, to the father. And there's a demon crying out because he just got sent out by the father. Incredible, contra uh, incredible uh, uh, scene that we see here. A father whose heart is pure and crying out in a spirit who has nothing else he can. There's no more space for him, and he cries out in agony. My dear friends, I don't know about you, but I want to serve God with such a faith. I want to chase the throne of God in my prayer life in such a way that anything the enemy throws at me has to cry out as he is out of my life because there is a God who wants to do an incredible work in and through me. And here's what we see. 
Prayer is most purposeful when it's done with fervency. Pay attention to this. Look at verse 24. Immediately. Don't miss this. This father didn't have to go back and consult with anybody. <laughs> this father didn't have to look around and see who, it, who was around him and if it was going to damage his, his reputation. No, my friends, let me tell you something. When there is a crisis that presses you and breaks you so much, it doesn't matter who's around. They can't do anything for you anyways. Look what happens immediately. What does that tell us? There is an urgency about his heart. Dear friends, let me ask you, how many of you know somebody that doesn't know Jesus? What if there was that urgency in your life to pray for them that this father had? Immediately, there was no delay. Well, I heard a guy say one time, delayed obedience is disobedience. There was no disobedience here. There was no delay. Immediately, there was an urgency in his life. His son had to have help. His son needed an encounter with Christ. His son needed a touch from God. There are people all across this room that is made, it's not physical like this, but your son or your daughter needs a touch from God. They are running from God or they don't know God. How urgent are you in chasing the throne of God on behalf of your, your son or your daughter. I know I'm getting personal now, but the truth is, listen to me, the father immediately with urgency went before Jesus and said, I believe, help me, I need you. You see, there was an urgency about his plea. There was also a desperation. Look at verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out. Okay, watch this. He didn't go have silent prayer. It's amazing to me that we'll stand on an altar in front of a church of people and we'll declare our love for our spouse when we get married. It's amazing to me that we'll paint our faces and Bodies, colors, and go scream for an athletic team. But when there is a pressing need in our life that depends on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God, we get timid and we get quiet. What would it look like, friends, tonight in this church, if there was an urgency about us, about our city for Christ? What if there was an urgency about us that, that there would be a movement of God among us? What if, my friends, not only was there an urgency, but what if our life depended upon a movement of God? What if there was a dependence and a desperation for God to move? Today, Pastor Jason took me to dinner and I thought I had to call him and say, man, I've caught every light, every construction. I even caught a train. I'd never met him before. There was a desperation in my heart to get there on time. <laughs> and I thought to myself as I was driving, only about four miles over the speed limit. There was a thought that occurred tonight, you're going to open the Word of God, Nathan. You're going to talk about desperation. And there are times in your life you're more desperate to get to a dinner meeting than you are to get to the throne of God. 
How can we expect God to pour out his spirit upon a generation who absolutely is not desperate for God to pour out his spirit on a generation? See, this father was desperate. By the way, can I just say, I don't want God to get us to a place that this father is where he's crushed and he has nowhere else to go before he gets desperate. I want to see a people of God become so hungry for a move of God and the spirit of God to be among us and powerfully among us that we are desperate. Leonard Ravenhill says this, no man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, but few prayers. Many singers, but few clingers. Lots of pastors, but few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. Failing here, we fail everywhere. I've got to move quickly tonight, so listen quickly tonight. There was an urgency about him. There was a desperation about him. Oh, my friends, what would our churches look like? What would our state look like if the people of God became urgent and desperate in our prayer life? My heaven's sakes, I hear, if, I, if, if I hear again, we need prayer back in our schools. How about believers, children of God, men of God, women of God, brothers and sisters of God? How about we get in our house before we worry about getting in our schools? Many of us, we have more clothes in our closet than we do hours in our prayer closet. How about we worry about being desperate and urgent? But there's a third thing, submissive. Look at verse 24, the third part of verse 24. He says, I believe, help my unbelief. In other words, he comes to his place, he's urgent and he's desperate, and he comes to his place where he simply says, I, you got to help me. I submit. I firmly believe, I was a pastor of a couple of churches, been to interim at three churches. Here's what I come to believe about a lot of people who follow Christ. They never have that breakthrough because they never fully let go. They just don't. They, we just like to be in control. We'll manipulate any way we can to gain control. And the truth of the matter is, my dear friends, we have to get to a place where we fully submit. We have to look at our thing and go, God, this is yours and you can handle it. I can't, but you can. My, my second son, he's... 10 years old, he's massive. He's about this tall. He's 10 years old. He's fire engine red hair. I call him Opie on steroids. He's like my ticket to early retirement because I'm praying he goes to the NFL. A few weeks ago, we were riding, and I was like, bro, I'm just going to be honest with you. You stink. Anybody ever had that problem with a 10-year-old? I'm like, son, when is the last time you took a shower? You're horrible, man. And I'm like, bro, you don't understand. You're 10 now. And here's what, here was my talk with him in my vehicle. Son, you have to start valuing yourself and taking care of yourself. And I kid you not, here was the response. Dad, I know, but today's not that day. <laughs> friends, whatever you're facing, you need to look at that problem and go, today's not that day. I'm urgent. I have an urgency in my life. I have a desperation for God, and I'm submitting it to God, and today is not the day you're going to rob me of what God has for my life. 
You see, there was an urgency, a desperation, a submissiveness. And then watch this. It was a patience. I love this. We, we pass over stuff like this. Watch this in verse 25. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came and run together, he rebuked the unclean spirit. Did you catch that? There's this patience that we must learn in our prayer life because watch this. Jesus saw that a crowd was running. That implies to us that Jesus waited until the crowd got there before he rebuked him. Why would Jesus do that? This father is urgent. This father is desperate. Why would Jesus wait until the crowd drew? Let me tell you something, friends. I believe it's because of this principle in our life. Oftentimes, if not all the time, God will wait to the most opportune moment for him to maximize his glory in what he's doing in your life. Jesus could have done it immediately, but he saw people running there. He saw people were going to witness this. And so Jesus waited. Same thing with Mary and Martha, remember? If you would have been here in, in the death of Lazarus, Jesus waited to the right opportune moment to maximize his glory in this man, in this child's life. Oh, my friends, if God has not answered your question or your prayer, it does not mean he is deaf to what you are, you are praying. It just means it's not time for him to maximize his glory in your life. By the way, when God says no... Most of the time, it's for a greater yes later. So understand this. God's not immune or deaf to your, to your cries. Oswald Chambers says this. We tend to use prayer as a last resort, but God wants it to be our first line of defense. We pray when there's nothing else we can do, but God wants us to pray before there's anything that we can do. Most of us would prefer, however, to spend our time doing something that will get immediate results. We don't want to wait for God to resolve the matter in his good time because of his, good, his idea of good time is seldom in sync with ours. Oh, my friend, here's what you have tonight. You have the power to have a faith in a God that nothing can stop. You have the power to have a sense of urgency and desperation in your heart. You have the power to fully submit it and say, let go and let God take it. And you have the power to wait on God and be still and know that he's God and know that God is working in your life. And, and the truth of the matter is, here's what we don't have. We don't have the power of the timing, but we have a direct line to the man that creates the timing. There's a Understanding of prayer is the most powerful when we are at our weakest. Prayer is most persistent when it's supported by faith. Prayer is most purposeful when it's done with fervency. By the way, I just have to say this, and I'm on a really short time period, but I just have to say this. Why is it? Why is it, my friends, that when we find a new recipe or we find a new something we like, we'll call friends and say, you got to check this out. We're excited about it. I mean, how many times do you click on Facebook every day and see somebody selling some kind of pink drink or essential oil or, or something? And they broadcast it proudly, but yet when we go before the Lord, look, the Bible says that God does not sleep or slumber. But I've heard some prayers that would sure tempt him, I'm just telling you. We've got to be fervent, passionate. Go before the throne room of God boldly, passionately, with urgency and desperation, submitting it to God, and then waiting on God. And the fourth thing we see, and we're done, prayer is only productive when it's put in practice. Look at verse 28. Here's kind of the crux of what I want to share with you tonight. So Jesus heals this, this young boy. And by the way, I love this. I didn't put this in. It's... it's I didn't get to this, but also know that it's personal. Look what Jesus does. 
he, he commands the spirit out, and then look what it says it does. He does. Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. And Jesus didn't forget about it. It was personal. Jesus bent down, took him by the hand. Whatever you're going through, that breakthrough you need, man, Jesus is there with you. He's not forgotten you. Look what happens. And when he entered the house, the disciples came to him privately. It's kind of funny, isn't it? They didn't ask him publicly. They came to him privately and said, why could we not cast this out? Jesus makes this statement, and I'm telling you, has revolutionized my spiritual journey. Jesus says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Some translations say, and fasting. I like food, so my translation actually says just prayer. <laughs> by the way, I, this, this pumps me up that you guys do communion. But I'm just telling you, the communion in heaven is going to be an ice-cold Coca-Cola and a Krispy Kreme donut. I'm just saying. <laughs> Listen to this. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. We go back to the main theme of tonight. There are things in our life that can only be accomplished and experienced by prayer. So tonight, as we kind of land the plane, I want to ask you three applicable questions to your life. If it is true that there are things in my life that I will not experience without prayer, if there are things in my life that I will miss out, moments that I will miss in my spiritual journey, if I'm not earnestly, fervently praying to God, if there are things in my life that I need a breakthrough, but I will not experience or accomplish those things without prayer, here's three questions for you. What have I missed simply because I haven't prayed? What have you missed out? God's kingdom advancement, what have you missed out on your spiritual journey simply because that can only be done by prayer and you've not prayed? Question number two, who have I not impacted because I've not prayed? If there are things that can only be done by prayer, who have I not impacted because I have not prayed for them? Question number three, who or what in my life, who or what could be different in one year because of tonight? I start earnestly praying to the God who controls all things. Think about those. What have I missed? You see, because here's the truth of the question. The absence of prayer could likely lead to the absence of God's blessings in my life. What have I missed? Because I haven't absolutely sold out to my prayer life. Who have I not impacted? Because I have not prayed. That's scary, by the way. And who or what's going to be different in one year? Because I start praying. Would you pray with me? Every, eye, every head bowed and every eye closed tonight. Real, real quickly, very simply. If you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus, maybe you stumbled in, maybe you've heard things on the radio, you came in, or you've seen it on Facebook or online, and you've come in tonight and you don't know Christ. My friend... John 17 gives us a picture that Jesus prayed for the lost. He says, I pray this not only for the disciples, but for those who will believe. In other words, tonight, right where you are, you must stand in this understanding that Jesus prayed for you. Jesus prayed for you. If you don't know him, he's prayed for you to come to know him. And tonight, 
I want to give you the great news that, man, all that you've ever done, anything you've ever done can be forgiven, forgotten. The Bible says, cast as far as the east is from the west, if you bow your knee and your heart to the Lord Jesus and say, I want you to take my life. I want you to lead me, and I want to surrender to you. If you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus, and tonight you would simply say, Nathan, I'm at a place in life, I need this breakthrough, and I hear tonight Jesus is the only way. I've never fully surrendered my life to him. And tonight I want to do that. Nobody's looking around. I want to pray for you. Would you just slip up your hand very quickly and put it down all across this building? Maybe you just slipped in. I've never given my life to Christ. I see your hand. I've never given my life to Christ, but tonight I want to. Tonight is my night that I surrender my life to Jesus. If that's you tonight, would you just, there's nothing special about what I'm going to say, but the Bible says whoever believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord shall be saved, that there's nothing you can do that at that point, it separates you from the love of God. If you are here tonight and you would say, tonight I stumbled in, I came in, and tonight I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to wholeheartedly surrender and make him Lord of my life. Just repeat a prayer that goes something like this. Dear Jesus, I've messed up. I'm not worthy of your forgiveness and your mercy. But tonight I hear that you can change lives. Tonight... I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins. I'm asking you to come into my life, and I'm asking you tonight to be Lord of my life. I surrender my life to you, and I'm going to commit tonight to following after you. Thank you for saving me. If you prayed that prayer tonight, let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says that the, any man who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. If you're here tonight, and you just prayed that for the first time, you said, Jesus, I surrender. Take my life. I follow you. The Bible says everything you've ever done has been cast as far as east is from the west. It says that you are a new creation, my friend, a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Congratulations, it is the best day of your life. Jesus boldly went to the cross. Here's what I want to do. I, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. In just a moment, we're going to stand. There's going to be pastors down here in front. I'm going to ask you to take a bold step if you prayed that prayer. And I'm going to ask you to come take one of these pastors by hand. And here's what I want you to say. I gave my life to Jesus tonight. Now what? And they're going to take you and follow, help you through the next steps of what that looks like tomorrow. Just simply come up and say to them, I gave my life to Jesus. Now what? For those of you who are believers in Christ, and I asked you earlier if you need a breakthrough, would you come to this altar and just get on your knees? There's nothing special about it. It's carpet, for heaven's sakes. But all throughout Scripture, we see the altar was a place where God met with his people. Because his people came down and they laid it down at the altar. And symbolically, it was saying, God, we can't handle it, but you can. And my dear friends, would you come tonight? If you said, I need a breakthrough, would you come tonight? And would you get on your face before God? And would you begin to cry out to God with urgency and desperation, saying to him, I believe that you can handle it. God, I'm going to surrender it to you. Would you do that tonight? If God's burned you tonight, that tonight would be the first time in a long time that you said, I believe. Whatever God's saying to you, man, there's going to be pastors down front. We don't want to have a time of response just to have a time of response. However, the Holy Spirit's dealing with us tonight. He's in this place. Maybe you have a son and daughter. Have you urgent, urgently and desperately prayed for them? Maybe you need to be the first down here and just beg God for a movement of his spirit in your children's life. Father, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would move among us in a way 
that only you can do in a way that brings you honor and glory in Jesus' name. Let's stand. If God's speaking to you, man, there's pastors down here. They'll pray with you. If you gave your life to Jesus, I'm asking you, be bold enough to come take one of these men by the hand and simply say, I gave my life to Jesus. Now what? As we sing together, may God pour out his spirit upon our hearts tonight. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.